It was November the 19th, 1985, around 20 minutes past 10, 26 hours after a driver left his son's farm near Corbett. It was early morning, and along a certain part of Montana Highway, a burning car was found at the Bad Route Rest Area near Glendive, just off Interstate 94. The inside of the vehicle was engulfed in flames, according to Jim George, who was a sheriff in Dawson County at the time. When arriving at the scene, the sheriff was informed that no one was inside the vehicle at the time of burning. However, when a computer check of the license plate came back, this revealed that the car belonged to a Dexter William Stefanik. I'm your host, Benjamin Bryan, and you're listening to Peace, a Create Network production. Thirty-six years ago, it was an early Tuesday morning. The exact time was 10.20 a.m. And a 68-year-old Dexter Stefanik was traveling back home as he visited his son, David, a few months earlier after his wife, Vivian, died. But according to his son, David, the first anniversary of Vivian's death approached and Dexter was ready to go back home. According to David, Dexter's son, He came out and we thought that he'd probably spend the winter with us and then it got to be a difficult time of the year and I tried to convince him not to leave. Winter had already set in, there's really nothing he needed to go back to Wisconsin for. That's the last I saw him. Now let's take it back to where it all started. A day before, Dexter Stefanik sets out to drive alone across multiple states. He was staying with his son due to this being a difficult time for Dexter. However, on Monday the 18th, a day before the car ended up on fire, he sets out to travel across five states, and to save time, he would pull into rest areas along the way rather than looking for motels to stay in. This could possibly be the reason why this is a mystery. Now fast forward, it's a Tuesday morning, it's the 19th of November, 26 hours after Dexter started his journey. Jim George, the local sheriff, was alerted to a car on fire at the Bad Root Rest Area in Montana and a short interview clip from the local sheriff. When I arrived at the rest area and pulled in behind the vehicle, the inside was completely engulfed in flames. I went over and talked to the state highway department. They informed me they didn't see any person inside the vehicle. So once they realized the car belonged to Dexter William Stefanik, the sheriff's department immediately searched the area, worried that Dexter may have started walking for help. However, they came up empty-handed. They came up with nothing, no sign of Dexter William Stefanik and no obvious sign of foul play. At least that's what they thought. Now, this is where things get a little bit more interesting. The sheriff decided to bring in an arson expert to examine the car, and they actually found out that the car was set on fire using gasoline, which meant it would have been done deliberately. The largest amount of gasoline was in the back seat. Not only that, but the sheriff noticed how the driver's seat was pushed all the way back, which was actually unusual because Dexter was not a tall guy in any way. He was actually quite a short man. So the sheriff thought a large man was actually driving, who was six foot or taller. Now at this point in the investigation, questions were starting to be asked, but no one could answer them. Who was the six foot tall man who had driven Dexter's car? Could this person have set fire to the car? And lastly, where was Dexter? Had he been killed or had he simply disappeared into the harsh Montana winter? No one exactly knows. These were the questions being asked. 
As this case and investigation were getting cold, the sheriff needed more information, so he decided to make a timeline of all of the events that took place. Starting from the beginning, the car was found just a few minutes after 10am. A couple of hours earlier, Fred Siegel arrived at the Bad Root rest area for work. I got to the rest area between 8 to 8.30. There was a pickup parked there and there was nobody around. I really didn't pay much attention. Now at 8.45am, Clyde Mitchell, who was a highway maintenance supervisor, decided to stop at the rest area. Fred's pickup was there and a white Chevy pickup facing southeast. After pulling up and noticing the vehicle, Clyde Mitchell went into the utility room to talk to Fred, and he asked if he had seen anybody or how long the pickup had been there. While Fred didn't know how long the pickup had been there, Clyde went to have a closer look at the vehicle. I saw Arizona plates on the back, walked around the complete outfit and noticed it was a 4x4 Chevy with a blue trim cowcatcher on the front. At the time, I didn't think there was anything suspicious about it. A few moments later, at 9.15, Clyde Mitchell left to continue his regular rounds, but it was at this point Fred saw Dexter Stefanik's brown Plymouth Horizon pull into the rest area. Based on sources and according to Fred, he noticed the driver get out of the vehicle, carrying two large plastic containers. He asked the driver if he had any problems, to which he responded by saying, I have run out of gas and had to go get some. He was around 6 feet tall, between 35 to 40 years old, and, and had real light skin, and was clean shaved. No sign of anything wrong with him. There was nothing unusual about him. He didn't seem to be excited or nothing. Soon after, Fred, a caretaker of the Bad Root Rest Area, left the location. However, within 30 minutes of Dexter's vehicle, a brown Plymouth Horizon was purposely set on fire. The case suddenly went cold. There was no leads, no answers, nothing. But almost four months later, on the 8th of March, 1986, a local couple known as Bill and Cindy Shaw went to a remote landfill, which was 17 miles from the Bad Root Rest Area. As they were dumping their rubbish, they noticed a wallet laying on the ground, which at this point, they didn't realize it, but it would soon become the scene of a crime. My husband and I came out to dump some garbage and there was a wallet laying on the ground and it still had a driving license in it. It was current, so I handed it to Bill and we just started looking around and there was a bunch of stuff in the dump that didn't belong there, that hadn't been there when we were there before. And we kind of tried to see if there was anything else that didn't quite belong in the dump. They both went in different directions and looked around the landfill site, noticing items that were not there the last time they visited. Cindy noticed a shaving kit, a suitcase, and several pieces of men's clothing. But Bill ended up finding a boot. However, when he went to stand up, he saw a man's foot in between a mattress. And soon after, they called the authorities. This was most likely the important aspect of this case, as it allowed the sheriff to continue the investigation. Not only that, but it would also lead to more dead ends, which didn't actually help the case in any way, shape or form. Nonetheless, this began a turning point in the investigation, because once the coroner arrived at the crime scene, the ID of the body was none other than Dexter William Stefanik. He was identified through dental records, and he had been shot twice in the back of the head, apparently with a large caliber pistol, making this a murder mystery. Now there was damage to his neck and throat area, alongside marks on his hands and a bruise on the skull. This is a sign of foul play. Lance Silla was the coroner in Dawson County, Montana. There were marks on his hands, there was damage done to his neck and throat area, and he had a bruise or damage area on the frontal part of his skull. 
that was probably caused by a beating or some type of injury of that sort. The coroner believed that he had been badly beaten up, possibly even pistol whipped, before he was shot twice in the head. The sheriff continued to investigate and they found money in Dexter's suitcase, which in terms of evidence or a motive for murdering Dexter, it didn't quite add up, which also made robbery an unlikely motive. Now, based on Lance Siller's thoughts, he believed the body was there for some time, based on the condition of the body when it was found, and we are talking more than a couple of months. The condition of the body would indicate that it had been in the dump site from the time the car was found burning until the time it was discovered. At this point, despite Dexter's body being found and identified, they needed more clues to help them close this case and answer the main question, that being who murdered Dexter Stefanik and why? What was the motive behind it? Seven days later, the authorities found a final clue, which may be linked to the case of Dexter Stefanik. Back to where it all started, the Bad Root Rest Area. However, this time, the clue is in the men's room. A small line of graffiti was written in pencil, starting with the words, Hot Jog. Although the police did not release the whole message, later down the line, investigators did release the full message. That was at the rest stop. These other words, such as Wisconsin, shot and 1185, which is most likely referring to Dexter's murder, especially including the location, and 11 meaning the month, and 85 meaning the year, November 1985. The full message was hot jock, shot wad from Wisconsin, 1185, Saturday the 3rd. There is one thing to keep in mind, that this could have just been a hoax, as this was found a week after they found Dexter's body. So it's not for certain that this was from the killer, but it certainly seems to refer the murder of Dexter Stefanik. Now, the coroner at the time theorized that the killer wanted them to see the graffiti, and the sheriff believes that it was written by the killer. Not only that, but he thinks this is how the killer was taunting or bragging to law enforcement about his crime. Despite the sheriff reconstructing Dexter's last hours, there are still two clues that could possibly identify Dexter Stefanik's killer, that being the description of the suspect's vehicle and the sketchy description of the suspect himself. So the vehicle was a white Chevy 4x4 with a white blue horizon stripe. It had a white camper shell top and a cattle guard on the front bumper, gold hubcaps, bucket seats, chrome bumpers, and possibly tinted windows. The vehicle had Arizona plates, with a Phoenix license plate holder. The vehicle was made around 1976, and with clothes and bedding in the back of the vehicle, this indicating and suggesting that the killer may have been living in the vehicle. The suspect is middle-aged between 35 to 40, at least six feet tall, had light skin, and was clean shaved. But one thing to mention is that investigators did learn that Dexter had become close with a younger woman in Rhinelander. He did ask her to marry him, but she declined due to their age differences. It was theorized that the relationship could have been the motive for this murder. Although no evidence supporting this was found, there is still a possibility. I would say a small possibility, but nonetheless, there is still a possibility. This case first aired on Unsolved Mysteries on April the 12th, 1989. Three years and four months after the accident, Sheriff Jim George, who was investigating this case back in 1985, submitted this case to the show, hopefully gaining more attraction to the case, which it did. A daily newspaper outlet known as Billings Gazette released a newspaper on the 25th of April 1989. 
It was a Tuesday, 13 days since the release of the Unsolved Mystery episode. And this article talks about the case and explains that in Los Angeles, Unsolved Mysteries received 132 calls as a result of the television segment, which aired April 12th. Not only that, but the Dawson County Sheriff's Department received 16 calls as a result of the national television show, which is also located on the left side of the column, on the newspaper. However, on the right side of the column, the sheriff, Jim George, said he's pleased with the number of calls on the Dexter Stephonics case. We thought we were very fortunate to get this many. This case is almost four years old. He did also touch upon the other calls that were getting through, saying that most of the calls have been from other law enforcement officials who had similar incidents happen in their cities. He explained that in Canada, a man was shot four times in the head and his car was taken some distance from where he was shot and then set on fire. Another excerpt from the same newspaper that a similar incident happened in Alabama. A man was shot in the head and his car was also taken elsewhere and burned. There have also been other calls that came from people who had seen a vehicle resembling the suspect's vehicle. Despite this, the sheriff's department was still following up on each of the 132 calls unsolved mysteries received. We got it out across the nation and that was our intention, he said. It will give other agencies something to look for. But this case, the murder of Dexter Stefanik, still remains unsolved to this day. The killer was never brought to justice and no motive was ever determined, despite a few theories. However, it was revealed that under hypnosis, Clyde Mitchell told investigators the first three numbers of the killer's license plate, which were one, four, and seven. With this information, they were able to narrow down the vehicle to less than 60 owners, but they were unable to determine if any of them were the killer. Now, I'm not entirely sure why they were unable to determine if any of them were the killer. Because of this, I do think that it is odd that they were unable to locate a vehicle matching that description, especially when they narrow it down to 60, 60 vehicles. And they know this vehicle was registered in Arizona, but despite all the hours put into this case, there is a chance this could possibly just come down to poor police work. This cold case was reopened in 2012. Now, there have been a few leads since then, but none of them have turned out to be significant or anything that we don't already know. That's all for episode 11 about the unsolved mystery of Dexter William Stefanik. Please make sure to leave a review or share it with someone you know who is interested in true crime, mysteries, and much more. Don't forget to follow our social media, which is PeacePod, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and much more. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will be back next month for another episode.